Hey, Kim here. Quick update before you dive into this episode. We've changed the name of our podcast to Rooted in Tomorrow. It's a nod to our shared history and the bright future of our cooperative system. So if you get later in the series to our 22nd episode, you'll notice the change. But most importantly, it won't affect you as a listener or a subscriber. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. With increasing populations, smaller and smaller land holdings in certain areas, um, increasingly variable weather, and then lack of access to technologies can really increase the amount of food insecurity that we have in certain countries. In my role in Venture 37 Land Lakes, we help to address some of these issues to try and improve the livelihoods of fellow farmers across the world. about the work that you do. What makes it meaningful? Is it the results? Or is it the process? Or is it the promise of something greater? Being a cooperative means we're in this together to build a sustainable future and feed human progress. This is Something Greater, a podcast by Lando Lakes, Inc. I'm Kim Olson. Follow along with us as we bring you the stories and voices that impact our shared community. Let's say you're sitting in your tractor in rural Nebraska. That's more than 8,000 miles from the rural farms of Mozambique, a country in southeastern Africa. You don't know anyone there, you've never visited, so why would you care about a place so far away? Farmers near and far have a lot in common. You help your neighbors, the people in small farming villages around the globe do that too. You're always searching for more efficient ways to improve your yields. The same is true for a five-person family farming three acres in Mozambique, the average farm size in that country. When farmers do well, no matter where they are, we all benefit. This is why Land O'Lakes supports international agricultural development. Farmers helping farmers, near and far, for the greater good. Land O'Lakes Venture 37 is the nonprofit affiliated with Land O'Lakes, Inc. Since 1981, they've implemented more than 300 projects in nearly 80 countries. Now think about this, healthier animals, higher crop yields, more efficient food production, and new market opportunities in all of these countries. Today, Di Harvey is joining me. He's the regional program director who is based in Africa and helps Venture 37 do all of the above. Good morning, Di, good to have you here. Thank you, no, thank you very much for having me. Well, we appreciate you coming. I want to start out um, just with a little bit of uh, background and a little bit of getting to know you, if that's all right with you. Of course. I've read that you grew up in Zambia on your family farm. So uh, for our listeners out there who aren't as familiar with Zambia and the geography where that is, can you give us a little bit of a, um, give us a little geography lesson? Where is, where is it and uh, what are farms like there? Sure. Um, Zambia is in Central Africa, so it's it's in between Zimbabwe, surrounded by Zimbabwe, and Malawi to the south and to the east, and then to the west, Angola, North Democratic Republic of Congo, and Tanzania. 
farms in Zambia are at, uh, have at different scales and different levels. Mm-hmm. The farm I grew up on was a is what was would be classified as a commercial farm. Um, so that's a larger area of ground where farmers are involved in commercial agriculture as opposed to um, subsistence or smallholder agriculture. And then mm-hmm. there's another another scheme called sort of intermediate agriculture. My family farmed uh, as I'm sixth generation in Africa. Oh, my goodness. Um, and my family has farmed on the farm for 100 years. Oh, um, so a commercial so farm, but a family farm. A commercial farm, but a family farm. Multi-generational. Multi-generational. We've been on the farm 100 years, but we only got electricity on the farm uh, two years ago. Um, really? So it's, uh, we're in a very isolated part of Zambia, huh. and my brothers are both still on the farm at home. So multi-generational, much like family farms uh, here in the U.S. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. So I hear you were kind of a young entrepreneur on the uh, family farm. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. No, as a a youngster, I was given a little bit of pocket money by my grandfather to do with what I wanted. Um, My middle brother spent it on a motorbike. I spent my money on buying (laughs) ducks. I'm afraid um, I might be more like your brother. So, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, so I started off with a small enterprise of raising ducks hmm. and supplying them to, to local customers. So that was, was great fun. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Great fun. And, and you were how old at that time? I was seven, seven years old. Yeah. Oh, my so goodness. started started that. So that was great fun. It's interesting because when I talk to our members, they talk about um, how young their children kind of start kicking in on the farm, and it's it's just something the family does together, and and everybody does uh, does what's needed. So absolutely, that's amazing. So. I've talked to our chief technology officer, Teddy Bakelli, who has also has some interesting background of farm life in his family. And one thing that he has said to me is that, that growing up on a farm can be can make you want to stay there forever or it can make you want to get out of agriculture and, uh, and sometimes not much in between. So tell me how, how that plays out in Zambia and how that played out for you. I think, I think you're right um, about growing up on a family farm can make you either love it or hate it. It's really an all or nothing situation. It was always very easy for me when I was asked, what were you going to do? And what did I want to do with the rest of my life? And that was just was agriculture. There was never any sort of any thought process about what I wasn't going to do. It was definitely going to revolve around agriculture. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, revolve around um, assisting people who were less less fortunate than yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that was a really important piece that sort of came through our whole our whole family ethos mm-hmm. is a is an important piece even even now we uh, the farm at home we have over 10,000 people who are dependent on the services that are provided out of the farm schools really? hospitals things like that. So I think it was that was sort of always grown up with that ethos that you've got to help people who are less fortunate than yourself mm-hmm. and also to be able to grow grow the community because yes. if you're growing the community and growing people around you and everyone is moving in the right direction then mm-hmm. then there will always be less um, conflict and mm-hmm. people are, are then seeing that you're a, a good good person yeah well it will come back to uh 
to talk about that a little bit more because it, as you have probably heard and, and know, Land Lakes is really trying to do a lot about around reviving rural communities Absolutely. and um, making sure that uh, everyone is connected. Absolutely. And, and part of that is just a base in making sure that um, this ethos that you talk about in farmers and in folks in agriculture of um, making sure that you're taking care of everyone around you mm -hmm. and um, being a, uh, a stalwart mm -hmm. in, in the communities. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about farms and ag operations uh, that you're familiar with and how they're different and, and familiar. So in your role with Land O'Lakes, paint a picture for me of the types of farms and types of farmers that you work with now. So in my role in Venture 37 Land O'Lakes, we, um, we're working with different types and different scales of farmers. For the most part, we would say that the majority of the farmers in, in number would be working with our what would be classified as small-scale farmers. Mm -hmm. These are farmers who would be typically cropping a hectare to five, ten hectares. You'll have to convert <laughs> that into acres for me. I'm sorry. Oh boy. Uh, Don't ask me is, to do math. Exactly, <laughs> which is 2.471 for you. So I'll leave oh, that for your maths to, to work out on what that difference is. Um, and these farmers are, uh, many of these farmers are producing um, either for subsistence purposes some are semi-commercial farmers who are mm -hmm. producing, selling a bit of surplus into into the markets, and then some that we would classify as small-scale commercial, who are mm -hmm. then uh, their main focus is is selling um, into the markets and uh, providing a livelihood for themselves off that off that bit of ground mm. um, with various crops, and uh, in here in the U.S. what you'd call row crops. So majority of farmers would be using maize, corn, okay. as you say, as a as their base crop, which would be their feed, their yeah. food for their own household, and then growing other crops, cash crops, and then livestock um, is a really important piece and is um, this as well. Primarily in East Africa. Um, this is uh, East and Southern Africa um, mm -hmm. is the uh, the areas that I um, uh, primarily are focused on, but we also um, also doing some work in the Republic of Georgia in the Caucasus. The story is not unlike the founding of Land O'Lakes, in that nearly 40 years ago, a group of farmers gathered in Minnesota to talk about a bold idea, international development. As members of a cooperative, these farmers knew from experience that uniting to transform agriculture can lead to healthier communities and strong economies. And not just in their own towns, but also around the globe. So no, it's not just about getting products into new markets but creating food security, stronger food systems, and a sustainable way of living off the land that can be passed on for generations. This is why Venture 37 got its start. It's interesting, Venture 37 and its affiliation with, with Land O'Lakes goes back many, many years, and we'll talk a bit more about that. But part of what has been an interesting connection is our board members, as a farmer and member-owned co-op, 
we have very engaged board members. And one thing that they had the opportunity to do a few years ago was to come over to Africa and see some of your work. And I know you were were with some of those folks. Can you talk about uh, their impressions and some of the things that you were able to, to show them and maybe the parallels that they drew or that you drew um, for them? No, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we were a few years ago, we were very honoured um, that the chairman of the board organised a, a trip to Zambia to come and see some of the work that we be, were doing in the country with um, the investments that were being made there through US government. Um, and it was very, uh, very humbling <laughs> that uh, the these businessmen mm-hmm. of large agribusinesses were able to connect with with farmers um, in Zambia, farmers who here were milking several hundred stroke thousands of cows, mm-hmm. um, and then in Zambia, farmers who were milking you know three or four cows. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the more amusing things was was I was translating between um, the board members and uh, a particular farmer, and they were chatting about various different things and looking at the feed and looking at um, how the farm how the farmer was milking their cows and where they were selling things and the question came up of uh, you know what is what is your single biggest challenge mm-hmm. um, and uh, the farmer kicked the dirt looked up in the sky and said milk price at really? which at which point uh, I translated this and the all the board members fell about laughing and <laughs> said funny that yeah exactly the same problem with us so it's very nice that lovely connection yes. all the yes. way across the world into in different different hemispheres but very similar problems yes and at different scales at like, different like scales. you said two or three or four cows or ten thousand cows yeah. oh my goodness so very nice I, uh, I I imagine another thing that they might have connected on is, you know, here in the States, uh, less than 2% of people are connected to or employed in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And those 2% are called upon to feed the other 98% Correct. of us. Yeah. Is that the case in Africa as well? Or are, are, more, are, are more people more connected to where their food comes from? In many of the African countries that we work in, there, there's still a large proportion, of, um, large proportion of people involved in agriculture in what we would call primary production. And so with that large proportion, they're producing either food for themselves on a subsistence level or semi-subsistence level. Um, But the productivity tends to be fairly low. um, And that's sort of one of the the big challenges. So most people are really connected, you know, would be no further than one generation off the farm. Really? For, for For most folks, there may be two generations off the farm, but it's not, it's not long. The economies are fairly, are not for the most part, are, are emergent economies and are, are growing. And interestingly, there's a, a bunch of technologies that we can sort of use, um, which can sort of leapfrog all of the 100 years of development plus that we've had in, in, hmm. in the West. So um, it, those folks wouldn't have to go through, through all of the, the development phase because we're already there. Because we're already there and we've got huh. the technologies. Uh, you know, the, the simple one is, the, is obviously the cellular telephone, the digital Yes. All the aspects around that digital um, innovations. So I, I understand a lot of um, folks involved in agriculture, but many families in the regions are food insecure. Correct. So uh, tell me about food insecurity and why that is such a challenge. 
Food insecurity is is important for a number of different reasons. Um, obviously, food insecurity is really tough because of you know increasingly there's um, with increasing populations, smaller and smaller land holdings in certain areas, increasingly variable weather, and then lack of access to technologies can really increase the amount of you know food security, food insecurity that we that we have in certain countries. You know, if we if we pick out Ethiopia, you know, there are twelve plus million people a year that that have chronic food insecurity and ended up need to be to, to be 12, fed. Twelve, 12 million? million, yeah. Oh my goodness! This year in Zimbabwe, there will be um, there'll be about eight million people who will need to be uh, will need to be fed wow. because of droughts. So four 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 of the last five years, there's been mm-hmm. significant drought. Four um, of the last five years, yeah. Oh my goodness! So it's uh, it's uh, those are some of the sort of the big the big challenges around food insecurity. Obviously, with food insecurity, causes pressure within within countries and and can create instability and and then people need need to move as well. Mm-hmm. So those are all some food of the insecurity things. to economic instability to political instability. Politi- political instability, um, and then you know people all everybody wants their family to do better. Of course, um, that they did in before, and then in addition to food insecurity, something which is sort of is 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 well hidden is um, access to nutritionally dense products. So sort mm-hmm. of looking around at. You know, most of the folks you heard me sort of say, most of the folks certainly in eastern Southern Africa, the staple is uh, maize or corn, as you right. would say, which is, as we all know, is doesn't have many nutrition, much nutrition in it. It's yeah. mainly carbohydrate. Yes, um, filling but not filling, nutritious. But, but not nutritious. Mm-hmm. And so that that piece around the first thousand days of life um, mm-hmm. is really important, and making sure that there's enough. And uh, protein, and in particular, there's enough nutritionally dense protein, particularly animal-sourced foods, mm-hmm. is really another important piece because that helps to develop uh, the brain capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have that in the first thousand days, then you, um, that person, will be permanently stunted and being unable okay. to develop fully. Um, and then the awful and the sad fact is that. Um, people who whose brain has not developed well uh, then have a higher propensity, of course, for their own children to have the same thing again. So it's sure. multi-generational. So this animal source food is a really important piece. Right. So it's it's not only a, a human obligation, certainly, but something that ensures prosperity and um, success for the whole community. Absolutely. And the world in many ways. I why I'm going to ask you why Venture 37 is involved and why American farmers would be interested. I, I mean, obviously, there's there's this human need and, and ethos to to help our other our fellow human beings and and wanting everybody to do well and everybody's children to do well. But um, above and beyond that, why do American farmers care about this and and how does that play into uh, Venture 37? I think it, it there the the many different levels. Obviously, as you mentioned about you know wanting everybody to do well, and uh, for a growing economy, as economy grows, there are opportunities through for technology transfer, mm-hmm. there are market opportunities going forward, sure. um, for a number of uh, a number of technologies and things that can be that can be as you heard me saying sort of leapfrogged and technologies yes. that can go forward to grow. To grow those uh, markets, be it around uh, 
seed varieties, be it around technologies, around uh, how to be become more productive. And in addition, I think is 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 very important as well is the ethos ar- around making sure that as there's stability um, and the the farmers are are producing food in a in a cost effective and a a safe and secure way mm-hmm. um, that there's you know the effects of of climate and environmental effects as well is something that we're, yes. is a global is global a global issue. For a global issue and a global phenomenon yeah. so i think we have to make sure that you know that those are those, those are all addressed mm-hmm. um, and you know the work that venture 7 does is is to help to address some of these issues um, to try and improve the the livelihoods of of fellow farmers across the world so all of that sounds amazing to me and um, right in line with what our, our members are certainly thinking about. Um, can you give me one example to kind of bring it to life of a specific project that you're working on that might be particularly interesting? Um, only one. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> give we, me a few. I'll give you a few. No, we've got, we've got many, many um, projects that have been successful and in working in very challenging environments. The project which many people have heard me speak about quite a lot, which is I think one of our successful projects, was one um, based in Zambia in my home home country where um, approximately 12 years ago, 14 years ago, um, there was a, an investment made in into the dairy sector. And at the time we started with, a, um, there were approximately 200 plus uh, small scale farmers with farmers with two to five cows and they were producing about two percent of the global milk of the country's milk production Um, Mm. at the end of the five years um, we were up to about two thousand farmers who were delivering milk into um, into milk collection centers which was then is then tested bulked Mm. and then goes in going into the formal system and that moved up to about just about about eight, eight to ten percent of the of the milk production. Now, some hmm. about fourteen years later, um, the sort of figures are approximately there are thing just under ten thousand farmers now delivering milk into into uh, the formal system. And of those ten thousand farmers, they're producing just over forty percent of the milk. Forty percent, which is going into that. So it just shows okay, you. So math is not good for me, but that that seems like. What an increase of forty eight percent. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So there we it's go. a it's a that's it's, amazing. That was a, a a very successful program because we were working with private sector, and the investment was around looking at raw milk supply hmm. and how could we got quality milk into the into the supply system. Yeah. Um, and then the farmers have very much farmers have very much taken that on board, um, and as did the processors. And that's just grown organically, even though yeah. we have not been present in the country for five years. Plus. Right. So if so I if I so figure correctly, from two percent at the beginning, five years later to eight percent. Correct. And then you added another forty-eight percent in what another six, eight, ten years. Correct. And that's that, amazing. That just keep has kept on growing, kept on growing, kept on growing. And Lando Lakes, Lando Lakes across East and Southern Africa is is. If if you say the word Land O'Lakes, the first thing people will say to you is um, dairy and livestock. Mm-hmm. They're the things that they recognise. Um, whereas if you say Land O'Lakes in the U.S. or somebody with a U.S. background, then obviously butter yes. is the sort yes. of iconic thing. So Land O'Lakes and particular Land O'Lakes Venture Thirty Seven, then they'll they'll think of dairy and livestock. 
Interesting. So um, that's really about agricultural markets in addition to the individual projects. Is there anything else you're doing uh, that affects the market specifically? In the various different projects that we work in, um, so if we're looking at Mozambique, um, again, there's a dairy project there that we're, that we're currently working on, which, as you know, there was a um, significant cyclone um, that came through yes. Cyclone Adai yes. and destroyed central Mozambique, where our projects um, were working. There, with the dairy project, very much looking at um, encouraging people to drink more milk and to use milk as part of the solution to... Um, the hidden malnutrition, mm-hmm. so using animal source foods to, to help um, do that. So we're promoting very much the use of milk and use of milk there. Yeah. Other countries, similarly in, in Malawi, where again there's a uh, 36% of the, of the children are, um, have, have stunting, as, as yes. I mentioned earlier yes. on. So obviously nutrition is really important. So there we've got horticultural projects. Mm-hmm. Horticulture as you, is tomatoes, potatoes, green vet, green leafy veg, I just love the way you say that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Always use a good accent on an American. Can, we love it. Oh, there we go. There we go. So there we're encouraging people to use yeah. Um, to, to use vegetables, based. horticultural based. So we work in in various in different uh, in different areas depending on depending on the location, depending on the need, mm-hmm. and uh, depending on what's what's been prioritised in particular in okay. different particular countries. So we're sitting here in uh, Land of Lakes headquarters right. in uh, in uh, Arden Hills in Minnesota, and. Um, if I'm out there and I'm a U.S.-based uh, farmer, probably one of our members, um, how do I make the tie between what I'm doing out at my farm in Pennsylvania, for example, and what you're doing in Africa or some of the other um, areas in which Venture 37 is working? Venture 37 has existed for 35-plus years mm-hmm. um, and was set up and I, I set up, I think, with with the night with the wonderful intention of taking the great knowledge that farmers working together um, can can achieve great things. So I think the link is is always is fellow farmers. I think mm-hmm. there are enough people, there are lots of people in the world who have forgotten where food comes from. Yes, I do. I also feel that there are enough people in the world who feel that. Farmer that that and, and understandably farmers are undervalued. Let's go back to uh, food security a bit. It's a problem on some level in every country, uh, U.S. included. We had a good discussion last uh, podcast on that. In fact. Um, and globally, poverty and hunger are predominantly uh, rural. So research tells us that it's not just about providing more food. It's also about getting people, particularly children, uh, essential, essential nutrients um, for development. Now, we've talked a lot about that uh, in, in our conversation here, but I want to kind of come around to it again at the end. Um, you're a strong advocate for dairy being part of the solution. You've told us a little bit about that, but I understand there is a personal um, tie for you, and it's kind of a very personal topic. Um, why is that? No, I mean, I think, you know, from at a very early age, it, it was very interesting to see, and I, we no, noticed it on the, far, on the farms that I've been working with, is that the, is with my friends on the farm, 
you know, who were, were growing up together. Folks who had more access to animal source proteins and with, with dairy products seemed to just seem to do better and seem to do much, much, you know, mm-hmm. much better at school, much better in class and all the rest of it. So I think that that's, it's just, it's an important, it's a really important piece mm-hmm. um, of making sure that, you know, we have, everyone has access yeah. to nutrients, nutriently dense products and your father yourself you told me absolutely yeah um you know and and at an affordable price i think it's it's really really important and are you optimistic that that can happen absolutely no absolutely i think it's it's and that's a a situation of making sure that we that we farm in a sustainable and a sustainable way economically environmentally um and also that we're we're able to produce high quality um, product for the for our consumers. We always ask our guests one concluding question. So, um, if you're up for it, I'm going to give you that one now. Of course, yeah. What does the term "something greater" mean to you? I would say my my view on saying something greater is that is saying that whatever whatever you can whatever you can contribute in your own small way, if you can contribute in a, um, in, a, in a small way and do something to the best of your ability in your community or whatever, wherever you are, that, that would be something greater. So I'll bring this back to, my, to myself. I was fortunate enough to be educated outside of Zambia um, for my university years and had the option of either going, staying, um, in in the UK and working in agribusiness, I started started working in agribusiness in in the UK, and decided after a few years that there was very limited. I could have limited change and limited mm-hmm. effect in what I was sure. doing, so decided to go back to Zambia um, and and to work there because I felt that whatever I could do, I could have a more impactful globally by taking my expertise and my education that had been paid for by the family farm in Zambia and to be able to use that to do something bigger than working in an agribusiness in um in in the UK um and so that's that's been great I couldn't wrap it up any better than that thank you Di we appreciate you taking the time not at all thank you Land O'Lakes Something Greater podcast is delivered monthly via our Member Connections newsletter or on our website. Just go to landolakesinc.com, then click on Members at the top right. We're also available wherever you find your podcasts.